world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Conversations. Part two of our episodes on mythology on Mershar. moment that these nine heralds are going to basically abandon their part of the oath pack Mm -hmm. is a huge moment for starting everything on Rashar in terms of the religion and cultures and whatnot. But at that moment, in the big, big picture of the Battle of the Shards, Honor versus Odium, Honor is still alive. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So let's transition from that moment that created Voronism to Voronism. Yeah. Let's talk about that major religion. Yeah, Voronism is really interesting, and I think it gives us a lot of hints as to what the actual history of Rashar is, as, you know, much mythology and religion does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you always have to take it with a grain of salt, but I think it's a good clue to us. So, Voron teaching starts with the Tranquiline Halls. Tranquiline Halls? Tranquiline. Let's go with that. Okay. Um, Which is basically their version of heaven or paradise. And they say that the Tranquiline Halls were the original home of mankind. Voidbringers came to the Tranquiline Halls, chased humans out of the Tranquiline Halls and onto Rashar. Voidbringers then pursued the humans to Rashar, continued to try to push them off of Rashar into damnation. Heralds came... Everybody fought. The Heralds fought the Voidbringers a hundred times, and on the 100th time, they triumphed, and they vanquished, and there was a hariatum. And the crowd goes wild. Yep, and the Voidbringers were gone. And then the Heralds went, left Rashar, and went to continue fighting the Voidbringers so that they could win back the Trinkline Halls. So basically, the whole religion is geared around this idea that when you die, you go to help the heralds fight to win back your, you know, celestial homeland. And that's really the basis for everything. And what you just described sounds just as complex as most major religions. Like, yeah, exactly. That's legit. <laughs> like, that was, that was so many things. And what I really love is this concept that corresponds with what we know so far about the physical planets that actually exist in yes. the Rosharian system. Yes. There are three planets. Yes. One braze that is nicknamed or is called Damnation. Yep. Rashar is the major planet, obviously. And then we have Ashen, the planet that has been hinted at may still have spren yep. and possibly had humans. Yeah, but well, no, yes, it had an exodus at some yeah, time. Yeah, no longer does yeah. as far as we know. And so that lines up perfectly with this born religious teaching yep. that the humans were chased from their original homeland on to Rashar, and then they're having this gigantic war to avoid damnation, and they want to get back to their homeland, and here we have these three planets that all sit in the habitable zone around mm-hmm. the, the star, so that's what I love. I so mean, interesting. It's just, yeah. it's all right there, laid out in, in a way that just, like, there's so many connections, mm-hmm. and this is 
you know, mentioned by characters here and there. It's not like he's writing a religious text. (laughs) It's just, like, talked about, like, people talk about their religion. Everybody's figured all these things out about it. It's amazing. Yeah. Where are we going next? Oh, gosh. Okay, good question. So, I mean, I guess we should probably talk about the Dawn Singers because that is mentioned quite a few times, and I think we're going to see more about the Dawn Singers and the Dawn Cities. Yes, definitely. Um, in Oathbringer, mm-hmm. because we're, you know, more into Urethiru, which was part of the uh, Silver Kingdoms of one of the Dawn Cities. So the Dawn Singers are going to be... We don't know very much about them. We do know that they were sent to Rishar to aid in the defeat of the Voidbringers, mm-hmm. correct? I wonder if they were like, maybe the Dawn Singers were like cultivations. Um, champions. Champions, yeah. Possibly. Because they were, I think they were mostly um, kind of in that vein. I want to say almost like uh, Farukamis mm. on Skadril, yeah. where they were sort of in charge of like healing and teaching and um, establishing cities. Like, very of those, like, cultivation sort of um, intense, rather than really warlike, like the heralds. Absolutely. I think that that is a pretty good guess about, like, because we obviously have this balance between Honor has sent some of his Mm -hmm. champions, what it was cultivation. Oh, cultivation had the Dawn Singers. That totally makes sense. But just mentioning the Farukame kind of also made me think like what if the dawn singers are from another system they like showed up from outside the system no evidence of that nothing just a complete random thought because i think well i think another thing that's been proposed is that the dawn singers were like early ancestors of the parshendi because of the singing people are kind of like relating that Mm -hmm. so i thought that was interesting Completely possible, and we just, we don't know, but we know that the Dawn Singers were going to found ma- the major cities mm-hmm. called the Dawn Cities, yeah. but today are the homes of many of the powerful empires across Rochelle. Yeah, a lot of those Dawn Cities are still standing, like Alethkar, um, some of them no longer exist, like Natanatan and Urethiru. So we have this kind of ancient war battles that we've been talking about with the heralds but that's not where we're at now with our major characters right what is the kind of setting or time period the modern era yeah so we had when the heralds were on rashar fighting with the humans that uh, is referred to in voranism as the heraldic ep- epics yes um, and then the era that comes after that is the modern era, which is the era of solitude. Basically meaning that their gods have fled, right? As far as they know, it's just mankind on Rashar. The heralds aren't there. The heralds are off fighting their cosmic war. It's, you know, just us on this rock. Um, and the purpose, as they see it in Voronism, is to train in their callings um, to be the best that they can be so that they will, um, best assist the heralds in their fight to regain their heavenly home. And so this sets up kind of a class system in Voronism. 
very similar in many other societies connected to the religion but plays into the jobs and the economy because their religion teaches that there is this massive war going on and the gods need your help and so therefore what is highly sought after by followers of Voronism are soldiers, warriors. Yes. And that is what is kind of held up as the highest um, hope of many, like, young people. Yeah, it's considered the highest calling. Yes. And we see this play out in our own history. Some societies, probably most famous, the Spartans of uh, ancient Greece, uh, they put a heavy emphasis on war and combat and de- building their entire civilization yeah. around the production of warriors. And, the- and we do see that that's different in other cultures on Rashar, non-Voran cultures. Exactly. Just like, you know, you travel just over uh, the sea and you get a very different society in ancient Egypt compared yeah. to ancient Greece. Right. The most fascinating thing that I think has developed from this era of solitude where Voronism exists is that the Voron religion teaches that the Almighty is alive and well, just no longer present. So he's not helping you out with your day-to-day stuff because he's too busy. Well, so he's there, but their idea, and this is so like, I mean, probably all religion is like this, but when you look at it from such an outsider perspective, like, it sounds like, you know, when your kids are like asking you difficult questions and you kind of just like make up this answer to like make them stop asking, (laughs) like people were like, hey, why are we doing so much work, like fighting all of these fights, like... If God wants us to fight evil, how come God doesn't just fight evil? Isn't he, like, all-powerful? Yeah. So, you know, like, totally normal question. And the reason that they've come up with for this is that um, is that God, every time he does something uh, positive, because of the laws of the universe, it must result in a corresponding negative thing so they're like well the almighty can't help us because if he does actually it's going to cause bad things if he tries to do good things so we have to do it all by ourselves but we know and let's be honest at some point it was probably more widely known on the risharian system we know that honor the almighty is not around you know worried about balance in the universe Honor's, right. honor's dead. He's just not there. Yeah. But this is, like, their story to, like, make themselves feel better. Absolutely. And it's going <laughs> to be... this era of solitude being all alone, fighting this horrible fight all by themselves. And we're going to find out more about how this plays out in Oathbringer because one of the things that's going on in Words of Radiance is that Dalinar is challenging his religion by Mm. saying that he's having these visions. Yes. Because the visions end and he says, like, very clearly, like, honor's dead, everybody. There is no more honor. We are literally in solitude all alone. Uh, The Voran teachings are wrong. Yeah. Now, we don't know what what effect that has on society because we haven't read Oathbringer yet, but it's got to be something. It's got to be big. Yeah. Yeah. Because even... Just in terms of, like, social structure and uh, even economic structure. You know, they have the Voran Ardents, who they own as property now. Um, 
so there's another era in Voronism called the Hierocracy, which is basically the time period in which the church was in charge. Um, and they sort of overthrew the church. Now they have these ardents who are property, but they can't, you know, they can't be happy with Dalinar saying all of these things. And Voronism also creates some weird or peculiar, nope, can't say that word. <laughs> Just, uh, idiosyncratic is what I would say. Voronism creates some idiosyncratic, uh, social practices. Like women's food is always sweet, but men's food is always spicy. And they can't eat the same food and they have to eat at separate tables. Women have to, obviously standards of dress are going to benefit modesty, uh, but they take it to an extent that obviously from our human perspective on earth is ridiculous, but is no more ridiculous than what humans on earth do. It's the covering of the safe hand, which I believe is... The The left left hand hand is always the left hand. Uh, It's literally covered in cloth, like a a mitten almost, or like a pocket. Yeah, well, it depends on your social status. True, true. If you are a fancy, light-eyed woman, you have like a very long sleeve that covers it sort of elegantly and completely obscures it. If you're, you know, a dark-eyed woman of more... Modest. um, More modest means, yeah, you would just wear a glove over it, and it's kind of scandalous to the light eyes that you can actually see that there are individual fingers on the hand. And I think there's... Sort of like wearing pants, like back in the day when women wore pants. Like, what? She has two legs? How dare she? Oh my god. I think that one of the interesting things is there's not a moment where it's not... uh, There's a moment when I believe either soldiers or maybe when Shallan is running around pretending to be Vale when she comes across a barmaid who may be at one of the risque yes, bars. Yes, who has her safe hand exposed. Comple- no glove, no long yeah. sleeve, no nothing. Nothing. And it's She's kind like of a like... Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like a stripper. It's kind of like a prostitute. It's, it's someone who is clearly, purposefully violating the Showing norms. Showing a little something-something. Exactly. That and that's left all, hand. That's what it takes for the and born people. And I think it's people. so funny. There's another comment. I think it might be by... Um, oh, gosh. What's her name? The woman who teaches Shalon, like, how to be a con woman. Yes. She's, like, telling Shalon that, she, you know, she's going to have to get used to going about with her safe hand uncovered, and Shalon is scandalized, and she's like, it looks exactly like your other hand. Like, <laughs> I don't know what the big deal is about these Voren people with their safe hands. Because Voronism as a religion is so strong, it's had a huge impact on the history of Rashar, because like many religions here on Earth... They're the intelligent ones, or they're the educated ones. They're the ones who are taught how to read and write. And Mm -hmm. the quote, history is written by the victors. In reality, history is written by people who can write. If you can't write or you write in a different language, you don't get to tell your side of the story. Which is so interesting when you think about the another effect that Voronism had on their culture, which is that women are the only ones who read and write. Yes. Other than male artists. Male artists are allowed to read and write, but for the most part, it's all the women. And so I'm kind of interested to see how that has affected their histories and like how their stories have been retold. Well, and one of the most interesting things is that often what will happen, because even though women are taught how to read and write and obviously have this key power, they're still in a very patriarchal society 
where what will often happen is that there's a husband and wife combo. Duo, yeah. yeah and the husband would, for example, if he was like a general, Dalinar or something like that, uh, he would give orders and he would give speeches and the wife would be in part in charge of copying down and sending out all missives and keeping his books and whatnot. But you have this instance, I think it's Navani that talks about it, possibly Yasna, who talks about how a speech is being given by a male, you know, dictating to his wife what should be said, but then there's all these notes yes, at the bottom. Yes. Little footnotes it's written so in brilliant. by the wife. Yes. So there's these footnotes that the women write to each other, right? Because only women are going to be reading these texts. And so they just leave these notes for other women at the bottom, like little asterisk, you know, so the husband is like, I defeated this man in five seconds. And so she writes that he defeated this man in five seconds, asterisk. Actually, it was like 10 minutes. And it only happened because the dude eventually got tired, he tripped, and yeah. the husband was able to <laughs> like, kill him. It was a completely different story. Yeah. <laughs> so they leave these little, like, hints at the bottom, which is fantastic. And it's just so significant to the overall history because there's also been moments where we know that the history has been purposefully changed. Yes. So we know that because of the hierarchy, because there was a point in time where the church was basically in complete control of everything, they edited so much of those historical texts and changed references to the heralds, changed references to the Knights Radiant, um, completely changed, you know, entire stories and everyone's perspective on these bodies. So, and that's a theme that I really like about the Cosmere is this idea of like misinformation and not actually knowing what we think we know. And that goes perfectly along with our next topic, which is the Knights Radiant themselves. Because Voronism is in kind of a not really competition, because everybody thought that Knights Radiant weren't even a thing well, up until this point. But like, yeah. it's at some point in the past, Voronism took the opinion that the Knights Radiant were bad. Yeah, well, because the Knights Radiant left them. From their perspective, yes. Yeah, exactly. As far as they know, like they had the Knights Radiant. For some unexplained reason, the Knights Radiant left... And so from then on, they were called the Lost Radiance. And yes, everyone sort of has an unfavorable opinion of them. So let's talk about what the Knights Radiant are, because we have yeah. our characters that we've mentioned previously, Kaladin, mm-hmm. Shalon, Dalinar, Renarin, who are Knights Radiant. They are members of these different orders. But just in general, Knights Radiant are humans that have bonded with a specific spren. Mm -hmm. And through this bond with a spren, they are bestowed power that relates back to the herald that is in charge of that order. Yeah. We have seen a great deal uh, of some of these Knights Radiant, and we have seen absolutely nothing of other Mm -hmm. of the orders. Instead of diving into the specific powers, that's going to be for next week. That's the magic. We're looking at the mythology. So the Knights Radiant, I kind of see as the 
the officers yeah. for the heralds, who mm-hmm. are the generals in this war. Yeah. So they created an officer class that was bestowed with great power that had these, well, eventually... Well, I think it was actually... Well, I think the theory is that the Spren saw the powers that the heralds were given through the honor blades and wanted to, like, recreate it. And so they began bonding with humans and creating this uh, symbiotic relationship where the Spren got to have um, self-awareness and more of a presence in the physical realm. And then humans, obviously, were given surge binding. Do you think that happened without the knowledge of the heralds or did you think it was I a direction know. of the heralds? I always thought it was like the direction of the heralds. Maybe. But you kind of portrayed it as like the spren did the, this they on the like slide. Thought of it. I yeah. kind of think that like Syl would do it on the slide. Yeah. Uh, of just like hmm, they'll never know. I'll just go bond with a human. It's no big deal. Well I guess because I think if it had only been because of the direction of the heralds, they wouldn't have had like such an emotional reaction. And they probably wouldn't have returned again, you know? Possibly. I think that that's something we'll find out more yeah, in the future. Yeah, for sure. What we do know about the Knight's Radiant specifically is that in order to become a Knight's Radiant and in order to get power level boosts as a Knight's Radiant, a person must say the immortal words the words of radiance literally (laughs) words that we hear all the time on this show uh because it's our sign off yeah the first ideal yes we'll say it right now but it's not time we're not leaving yeah we're still here it's just that we're in a reverse order too yeah the first ideal of the knight's radiant that every order of the knight's radiant must say life before death Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. With those words said... They can begin the path to becoming a Knight's Radiant. Literally discover your powers after those words are said. Mm -hmm. Not master your powers. Yeah, Just discover. Yeah, so like, after you say the first ideal, if you don't say the rest of the words, like, you're never going to become a Knight's Radiant. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, that each of the orders kind of has their own take on the ideals, so like their second ideal, third ideal, etc., are all different. Light weavers speak truths rather than an ideal. Interesting. Everyone needs to say that first ideal, but then all the orders have their own play on the rest of the ideas. Yeah. We believe that like the most common uh, Windrunners, Kaladin's order, they have five. I think they all have five. five. I think, well, with the exception of light weavers. Well, I think they have the, they have to speak the same number. They're just not saying like Kaladin has to say things like "I will protect people who can't protect themselves." Absolutely, you know, some like statement of purpose. Mm-hmm. Whereas the light weavers do not have to make that kind of statement of purpose. So these knights radiant stayed behind. To protect Rashar. Yeah, so the heralds were like, hey man, we can't stay, but like, you stay here and keep an eye out. These are the things to look for. When you see these things, arm the people, get ready to fight, and then we'll come back and help you. And they did this Mm -hmm. through multiple desolations. Yes. 
through the last desolation. Yep. And they kept doing that, protecting, preparing, aiding, being thought of as good by the Vorn religion, until one day, one day that goes by the name the Recreants. On this day, the majority of the Orders of Knights Radiant are going to give up their oaths to stop being Knights Radiants, to abandon their calling of protection. And that is the moment when the Voran religion switches Mm -hmm. and says like, oh, now these guys have abandoned us. They're awful. They used to be our protectors. Now they totally are terrible. Yeah. We see uh, one of Dalinar's visions we suspect is a vision of the Recreants. At Feverstone Keep, right? Yes. And we can go a little bit more into the consequences of that, I think, maybe next episode. I think that's a good call. Yeah. Because what I do want to hit from Feverstone Keep is... Why did this this day of recreance happen? Mm, yes. Why did the Knights Radiant, who had been through multiple desolations, had passed on their powers, had, had right. always like, been there? Right, what triggered them to all of a sudden just up and like, bye guys? Because it wasn't when the Heralds abandoned the Oath Pact. It was, it was far after that moment. And we have to ask ourselves the question of like, what was the reason or the purpose for this day of recreance. The major speculation right now is that the day of recreance is also the day or shortly thereafter the day that honor is killed. Because we know that when the heralds leave, honor is still alive. Yeah. But then we know that honor dies at some point before Kaladin shows up. Yeah. So... On one of those days in between, Honor had to die. The one that stands out and is a big one is the Day of Recreance, when the Knights Radiant abandon their shard plate, their shard blades, and, and their, their callings. Yeah. yeah. So the speculation right now is that the death of Honor was a catalyst for the Knights Radiant to abandon their oaths. I mean, I think there have to be some parallels in that story that, like, things that we've seen are reflections of other things that we don't know about yet, and it'll be really interesting to see that start to unravel and come out. Next up, we have the Parshendi. The Parshendi and their gods... Ooh, so interesting. ...are something that we knew absolutely nothing about in the way of kings and then started to explore in the words of radiance it was one of the most interesting parts is that we had the perspective of the eshonai the uh, leader the general of the parshendi on the shattered plains is one of the perspective in words of radiance and through her we learn a lot about the history the beliefs and the reason that the parshendi are doing their thing and also their fall uh, yeah, they're... and I think, I like, honestly, I think that they are the key. Like, if the more we can learn about the Parshendi and their specific mythology, the more we will know about, like, Rashara as a whole. 
Because I think Parshendi were on Rashar prior to Honor and Cultivation, I think. But they have a very interesting mythology story in their culture. So this is like a mini episode on mythology that we're having inside the larger episode. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Because <laughs> let's do this as efficiently as possible. Yeah. Okay. There's obviously more we can explore. We may explore more after yeah. Oathbringer. Yeah, and I'm sure that there are tidbits that we're missing, but... Here we go. The Parshendi don't call themselves the, the Parshendi. Parshendi. Correct. They call themselves the listeners. They are not referred to as the listeners by the Stormfather. He calls them the Old Ones. The Parshendi, or better to better say... The listeners kind of include two different ethnic groups. Is that what we want to call them? Or just two different groups? Yeah, just two different groups. Right now, we'll just call them two different groups, which are the Parshendi, more intelligent, Well, yeah, so Parshendi, in the Alethi language, Parshendi means Parshman who can think. There you go. Nice. Okay, and that's exactly what they are, because the other, not ethnicity, but group are the Parshmen, who are used almost exclusively by the Alethi as obedient slaves. Yeah. Um, So they are basically the same ethnicity, I think, but Parshmen are just in what they call slave form, which is the form of their uh, people without a spren. In the past, and we don't really know how far past, but in the past, the listeners were a collection of separate and warring tribes. Mm -hmm. We believe that at some point their warring nature had to be put aside to... Yeah, their population was like so decimated Mm -hmm. and they had so much external... Uh, fighting happening that they had. They were forced to band together. One of the most unique aspects of the Parshendi is that they are very aware and connected to Spren in a similar way to the Knights Radiant. They literally bond with different Spren, but Mm -hmm. it's not a a small subset of the overall listener population. It's all of them. It's everyone. Yeah. Uh, It's very much a part of who they are and what they do. Absolutely. And they can change what Spren they are bonded to, not at will, but through a ritual, a process, going out into the storm mindset, whatnot. Um, But... They they literally have the ability to bond with different spren mm-hmm. and through those different bonds create different physical manifestations of their body. Yeah. Not to well, we don't know to the full extent. True. But, but right now there are five forms that the listeners use um, that we are currently aware of, plus storm form. So Stormform is the dangerous one uh, that they just got. Uh, But in their past, they spoke of having hundreds of forms. Yes. And so the most interesting thing, I think, about the Parshendi mythology um, is they speak of they speak of a time before their gods and then they speak of their gods like showing up and then they're. 
I don't know if it's all of their forms or only some of them, but at least some of their forms of bonding with Spren were given to them or like shown to them in some way by their gods um, as like a gift. Like, here, take this power. Isn't this great? And they were like, wow, this is amazing. And then they talk about realizing that there was kind of almost like uh, hemolurgy with Ruin, mm -hmm. that there's this like back door where they could be controlled by their gods through those bonds. And so they stopped bonding with Spren, they threw off their forms and like hid away from their gods, like trying to protect themselves. And so the whole process that they're going through when we see them in Words of Radiance of trying to rediscover the forms, um, that is so interesting and dramatic because they have such a traumatized relationship with it and like that's the whole reason for killing King Gavilar, right? Um, it's suspected that he told them he was trying to bring back the Knights Radiant and they were like, whoa, 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 Spren Bonds, like you need to get out of here, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the the listeners are going to kill King Gavilar and set off the chain of events that leads to the battles on the Shattered Plains because of the connection to the Knights Radiant and because Gavilar reading the Way of Kings, possibly we being suspect. communicated yeah. with honor mm -hmm. uh, himself, listening to that like recording. Mm -hmm. But the the listeners, the Parshendi, are going to fear that Spren bond, and I, mm -hmm. I love the connection that you made to ruin and hemolurgy is like the backdoor power hey here's hemolurgy oh my gosh this is amazing i can have any type of power just by going through this little process yes it's bloody but it, it's totally cool and like i'm a super powered individual oh wait every time you put metal into your body you are becoming more and more a puppet a puppet or a possible slave of ruin and it's literally one of the things that in Mistborn Era 2 uh, that sets off many of the chain of events there, one of the characters doesn't want to be controlled by Harmony, who now holds the Shard of Ruin. And I, I just find this idea of Odium, or any of the shards really, but being able to use a power, a mm -hmm. gift, as like a, a backdoor secret into a creating an army just yeah. like the lord ruler did with creating the coloss yeah. you know you like you you set up your army long in advance uh and then they can be used at a moment's notice and yeah. that's kind of what has happened and what the parshendi were fearful of happening with this ability to bond with spren i know and then maybe like do you think that maybe the original Knights Radiant, like, realized the same thing as the Parshendi, and that's why we have the Day of Recreants? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just wonder if there was something, like, obviously there had to be a reason why these people who are, you know, presumably pretty honorable, they had taken all of these oaths, would suddenly cast off their oaths. I'm not 100% certain. I, just a I, thought. Just I, a thought. I know, and I, <laughs> I understand the thought. I, I'm fairly convinced that it is a reaction to the death of honor not necessarily a realization of kind of like a backdoor power 
Maybe. Or them, them being... The only thing that I could maybe imagine is that, okay, Honor dies, and then the Knights Radiant realize that, like, oh, without Honor protecting us, Odium is oh. the next most powerful shard. So then he yeah, could... could he, access them. Exactly. Yeah, maybe. So I could see that happening. But I, I do think that the death of Honor is kind of the catalyst for the Day of Recreants. That's just my personal opinion right now. Yeah. But I, I, there could be way more elements that we don't understand about that. Yeah, I mean, I think there are. <laughs> Let's move from the listeners, the Parshendi, to the unmade. Oh, this is a group that we don't know a ton about. We hear them, like, referenced to, but... There's not much that we know concretely. Um, I think the best thing that we have is from the diagram, Mm -hmm. which describes them as a deviation, a flare, a conundrum that may not be worth your time. You cannot help but think of them. They are fascinating. Many are mindless, like the spren of human emotions, only much more nasty. I do believe a few can think, however. So they're kind of like spren. Yeah. They've got some type of... But they're a deviant. Yeah, they're darkness. They're, they're, they're connected, in fact, to Odium. We know this from a word of Brandon, I think on a Reddit post, uh, or an Ask Me Anything. Someone question about what exactly are the unmade. Uh, are they splinters of Odium? And Brandon confirmed. Yeah. So we do know that they share that connection to Odium. And what is in many ways really interesting, the the theory that kind of most keeps me up at night, is that the unmade are the opposite of the heralds. Yeah. And we began... Because we know that they're... Uh, 10 surges of surge binding, and we know that there are 10 void binding surges. So the theory is that the unmade might be those like 10 representatives of Odium that correspond with the 10 heralds. And we do know a few names of them, or like things that we suspect may be part of the unmade. Um, the most significant ones, I think, are, uh, oh god, I never know how to say this, Nergaul. Nergaul. Yeah, Yeah. that looks cool. Okay. (laughs) And we think slash suspect, um, that Nergaul is responsible for the thrill. The thrill is the feeling, the battle lust. Yeah, joy of battle. Yeah, and it's a power that warriors are able to tap into, it seems to be ever-present and to be available to anyone who reaches a certain battle lust stage. In a Lethkar. Only in right? a Lethkar. We haven't seen any battles not in a Lethkar. That's true, absolutely. So, yeah. But I think that, at least my vague recollection, is that there was some uh, question when uh, there was like a meeting of all the fancy people at a party, there was some question that Dalinar made to one of the representatives from a different culture about the thrill, and everybody kind of just looked at him because you're not supposed to talk about the thrill. Yeah. It's like a private thing. 
Well, but I think I think the I think Teravangian says something about these two Nargaul and Moloch being mobile. So I think where wherever they are located, their effect is going to be more felt. That is super interesting that they're like stationed around uh, different areas and most likely Nergal is hanging out on the Shattered Plains. Yeah. Because there's a, a big gigantic war that's going yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. It may even be causing all of the war. Certainly Who knows? pushing people to like be more quick more to war. More like yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so let's get to Moloch. Um, who is another one mentioned by Teravangian and is thought to be responsible for the death rattles. And the death rattles are the kind of mystery that's sitting in the background of Words of Radiance and... uh, And Way of Kings. Yeah, Way of Kings as well, where as people die, they shout out or, or speak out these phrases sometimes... They seem Seem to have some kind of, like, prophecy ability upon their death. And that is why Teravangian? Teravangian. Either way. Okay. That's why he takes such an interest in death rattles and kind of collecting the final words spoken by these individuals because he is attempting to help understand through prophecy what is going to happen and how it lines up with his diagram he recognizes that they're not random babbling he recognizes that they are meaningful so by collecting them he is trying to gain some information and then i guess we already kind of talked about the night watcher that she may be a large spren of cultivation she is also known to be part of the old magic as they call it, um, that presumably was in existence before even the Heralds and Surge Binding came to Rashar. And what else do we know about the Night Watcher? Well, just this idea of being part of the old magic is pretty significant. Because I, I like that idea that some of these powers, some of these spren, are powerful before... The heralds. The heralds are an aspect, representatives of honor, right? And we think that the Night Watcher is somehow connected, cognitive realm style, uh, to cultivation. But there's just so much going on that we don't fully understand and that predates even the stuff that we think we understand. Exactly. We know that the power of the night watcher is sought after by people all across rashar and her power is a give and a take her power is a boon something that you want something that you desire and a curse something which is totally arbitrary yes it doesn't necessarily well, it's probably connected to the Night Watcher. She's like, these make perfect sense together. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily line up 100%. I kind of have images of like the traditional uh, genie character. Yeah. Where I will give you a wish, and it can be any wish you want. I'm you know, as powerful as the entire cosmic experience. 
itty bitty living space. The side effect when the character is not created by Disney is that the genie always manipulates the wish. So right. you get what you want, but... but it has a it has a turn. It has a twist. But that's not the case for, for the, the night, night watcher. watcher. Yeah, but we it... know that it doesn't matter how well you word your request. Like you can't talk your way out of it. Because she just arbitrarily will give you a curse, whatever she feels like. Yes. It might, you know, your curse might be a hundred times worse than the blessing you've asked for. You know, if you're like, hey man, I would really love to have a fork right now. Yeah. She might give you a fork and like kill your entire family. Like they don't have to be equal and or related. <laughs> that is the, the separation between the traditional idea of the genie yeah. and the night watcher. And it's something that leads many characters to seek out the Night Watcher to receive this boon, but unknowingly be given this curse. We know a few characters that have sought out a boon from the Night Watcher. I think Oathbringer being out now, the one that is going to be on everybody's mind is Dalinar. Dalinar, in his past, has gone to the Night Watcher. I don't think, with 100% certainty, we can say anything about Dalinar's boon or curse. Not having read Oathbringer, there is a specific thing that Dalinar thinks his boon and his curse are, but because it affects his memory, I don't know what aspects we can trust there. He's literally an unreliable narrator when it comes to his own experiences at the night or with the night watcher. I don't know if I know I like I understand what you're saying. I just don't know if I agree. It's just too far, you think I'm taking I'm pushing yeah, it too, I too do. much. Yeah, I think it's too much of like a conspiracy theory. Yeah, possibly. But... I'm just saying we don't in Oathbringer and people are gonna be reading the book and listening right. to this way later, so they'll yeah. be like, obviously, it's just this. Duh. Uh, but <laughs> at this point, we we have the first two books under our belt. We know that Dalinar went to the Night Watcher. We know what we believe to be his curse or his boon. We we think we know them. No, it, I mean, he says it's his curse. He's had his wife erased from his memory. But it could be his boon. We don't know. This is the weird theory. This is a possible... It's All I'm saying is we don't know because his boon or his no, curse I affects his I memory. Understand. I understand. That's all I'm saying is like his memory is in question when it comes to the Night Watcher. And it seems like this is not unusual because the other character that we know has been to the Night Watcher is also, in my opinion, kind of an unreliable narrator. Which is the character of Lift, famous edge dancer, Knights Radiant, totally awesome. Lift is only what, 12? Uh, 13. But she thinks she's 10? She thinks she's, well, yeah, she, she says she's 10. Yeah, because she can only... She knows she's older, but she says she's 10. Yeah, I, I think it was that she uh, used to count how many years she was until she got up to all the fingers on her hands. Yeah, she and was like, she if just... I can't count it on my fingers, then, like, it's unlucky. So this is it. Exactly. I'm, just I'm 10. 10, 10 forever. And <laughs> 10 is obviously... Significant. Significant, so... The character of Lyft also went to see the night watcher at some point maybe when she was 10 and so she kind of stopped 
thinking of herself as aging after that point or something. Like, who knows? Yeah, because we know that for some reason, related to the Night Watcher, Lyft thinks that what was supposed to happen after the Night Watcher was that she was supposed to stay the same and the world was supposed to change around her. So that could definitely mean that she visited the Night Watcher when she was 10, and therefore she's like, I will not change after this, therefore I am always 10. Um, but clearly she, like, physically ages, because we know that people who come into contact with her are like, hey, you look like you're about, like, 12 or 13, and she's like, no, I'm 10. <laughs> 10 forever. Um, so obviously, like, physically she is aging, but for some reason she thinks she's not supposed to be based on her conversation with the Night Watcher. Yeah, so maybe it is something mental. Like, maybe she's not oh, aging yeah. mentally. Maybe. Uh, and she is literally stuck as a 10-year-old instead of a 13-year-old. Like, maybe what, you know, the difference between a 13-year-old girl and a 10-year-old girl is going to be pretty stark because those are the years of puberty. Yeah. Um, maybe that's not something... And she's just never going to grow up in her mind. Exactly. Ooh, weird. Very strange. Because we do know that there are some weird aspects of Lyft. Yeah, she has some very unique abilities and characteristics. Even as a Knight's Radiant, which yeah. is already unique, <laughs> she's unique among the Knight's Radiant. Yes. Her two surges are progression and abrasion, which allows her to heal or regrow herself and even others. others, And to eliminate friction. And this allows her to slide across things. And be awesome. And be totally awesome. But she also has weird powers that we think come from the Night Watcher or at least connected in some way. Because she can metabolize food into stormlight. Yeah. Which is so unique. She eats food and she's always hungry because she is taking that food and turning it into stormlight. Yeah. Like she eats food and instead of turning into like normal energy, like ATP, you know, normal chemical reactions, for some reason it turns into magic for her. So rather than needing like infused spheres or a high storm to perform magic, she just eats food and then has magic. (laughs) And that's only part of her interesting, unique aspects. She also has the ability to physically interact and touch her spren, whose name is Wendell. Wendell often aids with Lyft getting around from place to place through this connection where, like, Wendell has the appearance often of a vine mm-hmm. or appearing vine-like, and then he'll, like, vine across a wall... And then Lyft will climb across that vine. Yeah, to use him as a stepping stone or, like, extra ledge to stand on. Imagine if Kaladin's just at the bottom of something and he's like, Hey, Syl, can you just fly me up? And just grabs onto Syl and, like, that doesn't happen for anybody else. Like, nobody has the ability to physically interact with their spren. I think... Well, and Wendell even says, he's like, I don't know why you can touch me. Like, this should not be possible. Yeah. And the only thing that he can think of is that somehow Lyft is, like, partially existing in the cognitive realm. More so than just, like, normal Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that allows her to interact with him more fully, which I thought was really interesting. We have no idea why, but those two kind of different elements of Lyft 
may be connected to her her yeah. boon and her time with the Night Watcher. For sure. So basically what we're saying is that Night Watcher as a character or as a, a spren in this world is so powerful that the Night Watcher may have the ability to change or manifest other powers on Rashar. Like, she's adjusting Surge Binding, if this is Could what be. we believe. Yeah, exactly. Like she's changed some elements of Surge Binding that Lyft doesn't have to follow all the same rules. That is like a game breaker. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a big, gigantic power oh, yeah. to basically be like, hey, I've created all these rules. There are ten orders, and each of them have two surges, and, and they this interact is how it works, like, and like this, and they say they're sense. immortal words, and they have the ideals of the... And everything works out perfectly, you know, very military precision-like, and then Night Watcher comes in and is just like, no. Just kidding, that's not how it works. Let's Let's change this up a little bit cultivation out like when you're like on the playground and you're playing a game that has specific rules and one of the kids is just like no i'm not gonna play by yeah. those rules lava like, monster have to stay yeah. off the tan bark just and then like, the kids just no, like i'm immune yeah stone boots <laughs> i have stone boots i just walk across be like that doesn't help you'll sink right he's like nope it doesn't matter you're like you're just a cheater <laughs> the night watcher is basically she's like cheating some of the the system yeah because she's older than the system yeah so weird yeah and that's basically what i feel like about this entire episode just so much weirdness so much religion that's not from this planet so much mythology going on on rashar we will continue to discover more yeah absolutely there's for sure gonna be some more follow-up episodes just about one, all the magic on Rashar. We might go into some of the ethnicities um, in greater detail, their stories. Anything else you want to close with? No, I think we're good. Okay. Have fun reading Oathbringer, everyone. Until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. Ooh.